Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen, Brendan Fresh from your first road trip in Masson history. Yeah, how was Detroit? Oh, it was lovely. I mean, that's the dream: going on a road trip covering baseball. It was really cool. Detroit was a very cool city. Comerica Park was really cool. So, overall, great experience. That was the most baseball guy answer you answered like a player like you were had been coached to answer <laughs> well let me tell you great organization uh, I really spent good five minutes base. in the clubhouse and got media trained on how yeah, to apparently. answer questions you, you gave no insight none you at gave all no good quotes right you just all that's generalities cool that's why people tune into the podcast they don't want a single good quote or any insight and no. that's what i provide to wow. the fans watching all right really selling it here <laughs> yeah uh was it, I mean, you simply cannot go on any road trip ever again, considering the three outcomes of those three games. They weren't good. They were three losses, and they were also three offensively weak games yeah, for the Orioles. it was weird because the first game, they had a ton of opportunities. 14 runners stranded on base did not really score, aside from two solo home runs. Yeah. They hit with none of those 14 stranded runners on base. And then in the second game... I think they had eight balls it hit over 100 miles an hour, four of which had an expecting average, expected batting average over 500. Trey Mancini hit two of them. Yeah. And they only had, I think, three or four hits in the game, did not score any runs. And then Sunday, Scooble was awesome. Yeah. And they just could not get anything done. And we're going to talk about exactly why the Orioles' offense has been so poor, but injuries has been a major, major factor of that. I'll tell you, Trey Mancini is a walking example of old old man baseball takes of stats, you know, expected batting average, none of that, exit below, none of that matters because he has gotten unbelievably lucky, un- unbelievably unlucky, excuse me, in terms of expected batting average, average exit below. He's putting the ball in play and he's hitting the ball hard and he's getting nothing to show for it. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I'm scrolling through our Facebook comments and we have one comment that just says stop. Yeah. So uh, maybe, so maybe the podcast should just end right there. I think so. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's kind of crazy how unlucky Mancini has gotten, how unlucky Ramon Rios has gotten. A lot of guys are hitting the ball incredibly hard and they're just not finding space. They're just not, they're, they're going directly to fielders and it's yeah. been very unfortunate. However, I do think it will turn around because as stats show us, the more sample size you have, the larger the sample size, the more things will prove to be correct yeah. over a certain amount of time. And we will get more into the offense later on in the podcast, but we do need to address the Adley Rutschman-shaped elephant in the room sure. to start. He's, he's, he's not that large. No. You know, um, maybe baby elephant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Adley Rutschman, we are in the home stand where we both predicted that Adley Rutschman would make his debut. However... He did make the trip to Charlotte with AAA Norfolk. The question becomes, are we going out on a limb by saying that he was going to make his debut this homestand, or is were we kind of jumping the gun here? Well, 
it's funny because I think everybody just kind of assumed that he would be coming up either Monday or Friday. Yeah. Michael Ias gave us no indication that he was going to be called up this week, that he would be here at some point this homestand. That's not Michael Ias, you know, kind of fueling this fire. It's pretty much just been fans looking at the schedule saying, okay, he spent about 10 games in Norfolk now. It would make sense for him to come up at some point this homestand because we're pretty sure that the Orioles are going to want Adley to make his debut at home. But it's purely the fans and purely guys like us talking about it, assuming that he's going to be up this week, but there's been no indication that that's actually going to happen. Yeah, I took an informal poll of the beat reporters yesterday just to get a sense of when they think he's going to make his debut, and the answers were all over the map. They ranged from it could be as early as Wednesday or Thursday to this could be May 31st or June 1st, as in the next homestand. So that shows you that these are all people who are plugged into the team, who are covering the team, and they don't have one consensus answer, not as to the exact day, but even the exact week. I mean, those two days are two weeks apart. You know, the next homestand does not begin for two weeks. They finish out this homestand at the end of the week on Sunday. Then they go out of town for another week, and then they come back to face Seattle next Tuesday. So May 31st. So we don't know what Michael Elias is thinking. We don't know what this front office is thinking. And even people who are very plugged into the team don't know exactly when the call is going to be made. So I think we kind of get this echo chamber effect because we hear each other say, throw out guesses. We hear each other give our estimations as to when it's going to happen, but we don't really know. So we reinforce these ideas in our own head because we hear it from media members. We hear it from each other, but we have to remember we're not the ones making the decision. Right. Michael Elias is making that decision. And unless it comes from him, then it's just a guess. And a lot of fans have pointed out his numbers in AAA Norfolk, which I don't think are really an indication of when he's going to get brought up. I, at Michael Elias is more than likely not going to look at the stats and determine if Adley is ready. We saw the sample size in Norfolk last year. He's talented enough to play in the majors right now, but he needs to get his rhythm back. So you're not necessarily looking at the stats, but you are looking at his performance in AAA Norfolk and just seeing if the bat timing is there, if his timing behind the plate is there. Those things need to be there before he makes his major league debut because the worst case scenario is that you call him up too early. He's not quite ready yet, not quite back into form, and he goes like 0 for 20 to start his major league career and you ruin his confidence for the first few weeks. I, I'm not too worried about Adley Rutschman's confidence being destroyed. I think that he's a confident guy regardless and I think that he will be fine and if there's anybody who can weather this kind of storm who can handle this kind of hype with the amount of hype that has been building it's Adley right I mean he checks every box in terms of the makeup in terms of the personality and the determination I'm not too worried about that but I do think you do have you absolutely want to avoid a situation where you have to send somebody back down Jared Kelnick with Seattle just got sent back down former top five top 10 prospect in baseball highly regarded came up and debuted sometime last year. Everybody said he was ready. He was incredibly confident. He was ready himself. And then he hit below the Mendoza line last year, below the Mendoza line this year, like 114, and they had to send him back down. The Orioles 
want to avoid that situation at all costs. Joe Adele, same thing. Same Another thing. top five, top 10 prospect in baseball sent back down this I think year. Formerly the number one prospect in baseball at one point during his yeah. minor league tenure. So you want to avoid that at all costs. However, I will say for those two guys, I think Kelnick's 22. I think Joe Adele was a little bit on the younger side. Adley's 24. So if he's going to figure it out, if he's going to have to figure it out at the major league level, that's going to be soon. And with Kelnick, with those younger guys, you have a little bit more time to play with where you can send them back down. For Adley, you don't at any for any reason want to have to send this guy back down to the minor leagues. Right. So and- you're going to wait for him to establish himself, to set his feet. And remember, defense is a huge factor here because even if he's not hitting at the plate, if he's giving you plus defense, he's still a valuable player. He can still build his confidence, keep his confidence up there, even if he's not hitting that well at the major league level. And part of the Joe Adele promote demotion, excuse me, this year was that you had positional competition right there you couldn't really justify playing joe adele getting him regular at bats on a team that over, needs to make the playoffs right that is surging playing really well in the american league right now you can't really justify starting him over mike trout brandon marsh shohei otani taylor ward in right. the outfield so that was part of it and adley rutschman doesn't really have that competition at the major league level right now and he's not as key to the angels future as adley is to the orioles future because the angels have their established superstars like you mentioned like shohei like rendon like trout they have those superstars already in place and it would be great if they add joe adele as another superstar player but it's not he is not necessarily going to determine whether or not they make the playoffs. Adley Rutschman is going to be a mainstay in Baltimore for a long time, they hope. He's going to be their cornerstone of their next playoff team, they hope. So it is imperative that he succeeds. You mentioned him not hitting very well in AAA Norfolk. Here's the thing. He's not hitting well. He's hitting 194 in nine games. Right. If he were to go four for four tonight in Charlotte, he'd be hitting 286. So it takes only one or two games to drastically change his stat line because nine games is an itty-bitty sample size. And he hit the cover off the ball in Aberdeen, as he should. He hit the cover off the ball in Bowie, as he should, because he's above those two levels. So nine games in Norfolk, to me, doesn't tell me he's struggling. And I know he, he's made a couple defensive gaffes behind the plate, some plays that he probably wishes he had back, a wild pitch that some would consider a pass ball, apparently. Um, however, part of that could be the fact that Every single day he's out on the field, people are asking why he hasn't gotten called up to Baltimore. They're wondering, when is this call going to happen? He might be thinking ahead. As as much as we've talked to him and he tries to stay in the moment, he tries to stay very grounded and not look too far ahead into the future, he might be thinking subconsciously about this and be thinking, is this my last game in Norfolk? Is this my last game? Is this my last at-bat before the biggest day of my life? Right. So that could be a huge distraction that is weighing on his mind. So I'm not too concerned about the hitting. I'm not concerned about how he's looking behind the plate. I think that ultimately Mike Elias is not checking, is not going by batting average in terms of when this call is going to made is going to be made. He's looking at is the player ready to make the jump, not what's his batting average. You know, is he looking at the exact stats in terms of how he's doing in Norfolk? It's more is the guy ready to face major league competition. And we're seeing a ton of criticism of Mike Elias on Twitter the last few days of in our comments section right now. And my genuine question is, what is a week going to do? If you wanted Adley Rutschman to be brought up on Monday and he gets called up on Friday or 
even in a more extreme case, which I don't really think is going to happen, if he gets called up in two weeks from now at the next homestand, what is the difference in the grand scheme of things for a few weeks of just making sure that Adley Rutschman is ready to go in the grand scheme of his career? Are you really going to be upset about the few weeks that you don't quite see him yet? We are prisoners of the moment. And in the grand scheme of things, I think you're absolutely correct. When we look back, if, if Adley turns out to be the player that we hope he is and some expect him to be, and we're looking five, six, seven years down the line, we may look back at this as a footnote. But even, Paul, if he has a great season this year, if he has a rookie of the year caliber season, are you going to be that upset that he was called up on Friday rather than Monday? Well, to that point, it could make a difference if, in terms of sample size, we could be sitting here at the end of the season Five, saying, six games? More than likely not. More like, in if it's two weeks from now. If it's it would two be, weeks, maybe. It would be 10, 12 games. Right. So that could make a difference. Uh, I mean, a smaller difference. 10, 12 games isn't, you know, probably won't decide the Rookie of the Year award, but, you know, it could have an effect. But I think longer term, you're looking further down the road. Yes, it, it, it will most likely be a footnote. However... I get that fans are chomping at the bit because they've been waiting so long for this because it has been a day that they've been waiting for since he was taken number one overall back in 2019. So, and they get to see other fan bases experience this kind of success with Spencer Torkelson, with those guys making their debuts. And it's like the SpongeBob meme where Squidward is looking outside his window when he sees SpongeBob and Patrick playing with delight and he is just shrouded in darkness. That, that meme is definitely applicable here. However, look at what Spencer Torkelson is doing with Detroit. Not well. Look at what some of these other, even Julio Rodriguez, has not been off to an outstanding start. So some, even some of the other top prospects in baseball who made their debuts on opening day or around opening day have not jumped out to great starts. And I, for the same reason, I don't think it's fair to expect Adley Rutschman to come out of the gate and hit 350 in the first couple weeks of the season he could go 0 for his first 10, 0 for his first 15, um, because it still is a major jump, even if he is 20, even though he is 24, even though he is ready for the bigs. So I get why fans are frustrated just because their weight, they their patience is wearing thin in terms of waiting to see this guy. I get it. And I understand that you want to see the best players yeah. on the field for the Orioles right now. And it seems like Adley Rutschman would be an upgrade at the catcher spot pretty much immediately, given the offensive production that you've had from Robinson Chirinos and Anthony Bemboom. And I understand that it's been a long wait for Adley Rutschman. My point just being that I don't think a week or two difference in the grand scheme of things is really going to make that much of a difference. And I truly think that based on what Michael Elias said leading into the season, and about Adley Rutschman's injury, that if Adley was healthy, he's probably your opening day catcher. That's pretty much what Michael Elias told us, reading between the lines there. He was on track to be right. on the opening day roster had he been healthy, right. had he not had that triceps injury. Which leads me to believe that the Orioles genuinely want him on the team as soon as possible. This is not a service time thing anymore. And I think that if he is ready to go, as soon as he is ready to go, he will be here. And I think the fact that he isn't up here yesterday, today, whenever it is, that's just an indication that the Orioles don't think his rhythm is quite back and that he is quite ready to go. The Orioles are also are not going to make a decision about the most important player in the franchise right now, in the organization, based off of who's injured at the major league level. 
they're going to make that decision separate of the fact that Ryan Mountcastle just landed on the 10-day IL, the fact that Trey Mancini is playing through injury. They're not concerned about the everyday mechanics of the roster when they're calling up their top prospect and the top prospect in all of baseball. They have to make sure he's healthy and he's ready, excuse me. So I know it can be frustrating, especially now because of how much they're struggling on offense, because the catchers have been struggling, particularly at the plate. Mountcastle is hurt. This offense is desperately searching for some kind of rhythm and somebody who can come in and be a game changer in that lineup. And they're hoping that Adley can be that. However, this the injuries to Mountcastle, the injury to Mancini that he's playing through, that doesn't change Michael Elias' equation because he shouldn't be rushing a prospect. It's the same thing with Kyle Bradish. When John Means goes down for the year, you know, it shouldn't accelerate Bradish's timeline necessarily. It opens up a spot in the rotation that he eventually took, but they didn't call him up the second Means went down with that injury because they said, we're going to wait till he's ready, regardless of the injury status of our current players. Right, and the current injuries on the roster are giving the Orioles a chance to get a better look at some of the guys who are already on their 40-man roster and that are more easily able to fill into those roles, guys like Ryland Bannon, Ryan McKenna, who you want to see more from and are now actually getting every day at bats at the major league level. Yeah, let's talk about Ryland Bannon real quickly because we have not gotten a chance to talk about him since he got called up at the end of last week. I'm excited to see more of this guy. He has just two hits in his first 15 plate appearances. He's playing very well at third base defensively. Brandon Hyde said before the game yesterday he feels comfortable to throw him at second base. It's just the way that the last week has gone where that hole has not opened up at second base. He's usually gone with a Rugnet Odor or Ramon Rios at second base, and he's keeping Bannon at third for the time being. I think that's fine, but it's nice that Bannon has that versatility. I'm not looking for this guy to light the world on fire offensively, but if he can show that he can be a serviceable player defensively, show that his versatility between third and second, make quality plays in the infield, and hit remotely well, have an OPS around 700. For a 26-year-old former top 30 prospect, I think that getting anything out of this guy would be a net positive. Yeah, maybe he can turn into a Ramona Rios type of player. Somebody in the middle infield that can play multiple positions. Bannon can't play shortstop, but he can still play second base and third base. Two spots where the Orioles have not had great production so far this year. And Ryland Bannon is not going to block guys like Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg in a year. So this is really valuable time for Bannon, where he's actually getting every day at bats. Now is the evaluation period. It's kind of a shorter window than you will give to somebody like Gunnar Henderson. But hopefully in this short window, he can prove that he can be at least maybe a bench bat for Ryland Bannon if he can come off the bench, play second or third. And right now, I think it makes the most sense for the Orioles to kind of platoon a Ryland Bannon, Tyler Nevin at third base. And you can keep Ramon Arias at second there and platoon him with Rugnet Odor. I think that makes sense in the infield going forward. Yeah, like you said, now is the time for the evaluation. It, it has to come together now if it's going to come together at all for Ryland Bannon. He's 26 at this point, uh, turns 27 at some point later this year, I believe, or early next year. So it's it's got to happen now. 
because he's dealt with so many injuries. Last year, he did not hit particularly well, despite that incredible September with AAA Norfolk. Same category as a Yusniel Diaz. I know they both came over in the same trade, the Manny Machado trade, so I kind of lumped them together in the same category, but they've undergone similar setbacks in terms of poor production, in terms of injuries. He has to carve out a role for himself now, and unless the Orioles are playing him at the big league level almost or every day, they're not going to get a fair chance to evaluate him for the same reason that Tyler Nevin is getting everyday at-bats. Are they top prospects in the system? No. Are the Orioles pinning all their hopes on them? No, like they are with Gunnar Henderson or Westberg. No. But there's a chance that they could turn into something. No stone unturned. And when you have somebody who's 26, who is a former top prospect, you have to see what you have in them. And look what you those stones that you have unturned, like a Jorge Mateo, who was a waiver claim, but a former top prospect. Look the, the kind of results that he's putting forth. So... You have to see what you have in these guys. They're on the 40-man. They're taking up a 40-man roster spot. There's no reason to ditch them before you even get a good, solid look at them. And that's what, if they can't play, if they're not major league caliber players, no harm, no foul, because they're only getting a certain amount of time at the big leagues. But again, I am intrigued to see what Ryland Bannon has to show. Yeah, both Bannon and Nevin have kind of been somewhere in the 25 to 30 range in terms of prospect rankings. That's right where John Means was. And you didn't know what you had in John Means until you started him every five days. John Means was a fringe top 30 prospect. And then all of a sudden you had injuries. You threw John Means in there. And now look where he is. Yeah. So you've got to turn every stone, like you said. And it maybe Ryland Bannon doesn't turn into your everyday third baseman. Maybe Tyler Nevin doesn't turn into an everyday starter. But at the very least, you can see what you have in them. Maybe they'll turn into a good starter. Maybe they'll turn into a bench bat. Maybe they won't amount to being a major league player that you're keeping on the roster for a long time, but at least you'll know. Yeah, and the kind of injuries that the Orioles have sustained as of late has opened the door for Bannon. Similarly, as Tyler Nevin, the door is open for these guys to prove that they can be everyday players. I'm. It's unfortunate that the Orioles have had these injuries and you want to see everybody healthy, but at least the soft landing is that you get to see these guys on an everyday basis. Right. Uh, let's talk about some of those injuries because I know Orioles fans have gone through that frustrating weekend in Detroit and they have vented some of their frustration on the interwebs uh, based on our mentions at Mass and Orioles. And I understand the frustration right now because this Orioles team is not hitting well. Last night started the series with the Yankees. The only two runs that they put up come from solo homers from Anthony Santander. And my retort would be, look at the number of injuries the Orioles have had. Look at the lineup that they're forced to put out on a daily basis. Mountcastle's hurt. He's on the 10-day IL. Austin Hayes missed several games after his foot got stepped on. He said His hand. His hand, sorry. His hand got stepped on by a foot. Uh, first time that's ever happened in his Baseball career, he said, as he was trying to slide into first. Jorge Mateo got run over by Spencer Torkelson trying to run to first base. So he's going to miss some time, clearly, as he's got that rib cage soreness. And then eventually they called it a, a left shoulder and chest, chest contusion yeah. for Jorge Mateo. Not fun. No. Uh, Ramon Urias had abdomen discomfort. He missed several days. He missed four days. Uh, Mancini, as I mentioned, got drilled in the ribs. He's playing through some injury. This Orioles team is... Am I forgetting anybody? <laughs> this Orioles team is incredibly banged up right now. Yeah. 
And when it rains, it pours. And that's what the Orioles have experienced. Right. And to the point of like, well, the, the offense struggled a lot in Detroit. It's kind of like, well, yeah, duh. I, everybody is out. You were missing yeah. Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, Jorge Mateo, who are three or of your best six hitters in the lineup. For the first game in that series, you were missing Ramon Urias. And then he comes back, probably not at 100%. Trey Mancini, like you mentioned, also not at 100%. So the team is incredibly banged up right now. And I think it's important to remember that this is not just an Orioles problem. Injuries happen throughout baseball. You want to look at the team they played last night in the New York Yankees. They dealt with a ton of injuries last season. Rugnet Odor played 102 games for the Yankees last season. Tyler Wade played in 103. Andrew Velasquez played in 28. Greg Allen played in 15. Those are kind of fringe roster. And that's for the Yankees. That is, I think Orioles fans would say, but the Yankees still won while those guys were playing. They did. You know, while they had Odor and those those backup type guys. The Orioles don't have the organizational depth right now to be able to sustain major injuries. The Yankees are a different story. But the point being, injuries happen across baseball and you have to start guys that you wouldn't otherwise start if your main starters were in the lineup. But the Orioles are not built to consistently win games when they're missing Ryan Mountcastle, when they're missing... Trey Mancini or when he's not at 100% or they're missing Austin Hayes who's jumped out to an incredible start. The Yankees and those type of teams have the kind of depth to sustain that. The Orioles don't right now. And it's giving opportunities to guys like Nevin and Bannon, but they they are not built. They're not 26-man deep. You know, they're that 26-man roster has uh, some fringe guys that are not built to play every single day. And we, we can't talk about how good Ryan Mountcastle is, how good Austin Hayes has been without saying that their effect on the lineup when they're out of it has a similarly negative effect. You can't miss Ryan Mountcastle for an extended amount of time and expect the offense to be totally fine. Right. You just can't because he is one of your better hitters. They rely heavily on Ryan Mountcastle to drive in runs and to get on base. And so to remove him from that lineup, to remove Austin Hayes from that lineup, is going to have a negative effect. It just is. So it would be nice to see Bannon and Nevin hit a little bit better than they have been, and Odor hit a little bit better than he has been. But at the same time, you have to expect a drop-off when you're playing guys who are not used to playing every single day. And let's also keep in mind that as of today, the league-wide batting average is 234, which would be the lowest in the history of Major League Baseball. Yeah, nobody is hitting right now the, across the league. The league-wide OPS is 683. Those are terrible hitting numbers. The last time it was 683 was like 1907, something like that. It's incredibly low production across baseball. And whatever the exact reasoning, you know, partly is, again, it's still early, it's still mid-May at this point. So the weather is still warming up. We don't exactly know what the reason is. However, this is a league-wide issue, as it was Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, when we were talking at the beginning of the season when the Orioles' offense was out to a a poor stretch, this is not just an Orioles problem, but it's exacerbated by the fact that the Orioles are missing so many guys. Right, and I mean, Austin Hayes has an OPS just a few ticks over 800, which probably wouldn't be elite over the last few years. That's top 15 in the American League. Right. Like, an OPS around 800, that's where Cedric Mullins is hovering right now as well. That's top 15, top 20 in the American League right now. Again, with the Cedric Mullins stuff, from what I've heard from fans, 
We jumped on this podcast and defended him last week. I know he recently had a four strikeout game. The first of his career, by the way. In Detroit. The guy is still producing enough. And yeah. I know, I don't quite understand what people's expectations were for him coming into the season. I just think that the bar was set so incredibly high when it probably shouldn't have been, when we should have understood that he was going to take a, a natural step back at some point and not be this entire offense. He's going to take a step back from 30-30. It's just, it's how it's going to happen. But he's still playing. But he's still producing really, well. I think yeah. he's on pace for what? Like a six, six and a half war season? Yeah. That's a great season. That's an excellent season. Yeah. That's around what he had last year, I believe. Right. So it's I, I know he's not producing as much through the first month of the season as he was last year, but the spotlight has now turned up a little bit more on him because all these other guys are missing from the lineup because, you know, they don't have the heavy hitters behind him. And his struggles are shining a little bit more brightly. So, I again, not concerned about Cedric Mullins. He is hitting exactly or around where I expected. He still provides good defense. He still provides speed on the base paths. Not concerned about Cedric Mullins. Not concerned about Ramon Arias, despite his OPS below 600. I know we can't go based purely off of the advanced stats because the advanced stats don't show up in box scores, but Ramon Arias has an expecting batting average of, I think, 290 has an OP, expected OPS much higher than what it is right now. Trey Mancini is the same way. You want to go, go look at Trey Mancini's stat cast numbers. He's in like the 90th percentile and up for yeah. a whole bunch of offensive categories. His expecting batting average is, I think, 315 before last night. His expected slugging percentage is massive compared yeah. to what it actually is right now. Those numbers are going to even out. We're going to see some of that bad luck start to even out throughout the season. Not worried about those guys. And again, the issue with the Orioles offense and the lineup is six, seven, eight, nine. It's not one, two, three, four, five. And the problem is they're missing Hayes. They're missing Mountcastle. That's two and three or two and five or two and four. Mateo, you know, is not at a hundred percent. So that's near the end of the lineup. So the guys at the bottom of the lineup are getting pushed up. So it, the, the weakness of the Orioles lineup is now getting pushed up and now having a, sh a spotlight put on it, which is why somebody like an Adley Rutschman, somebody coming up who we expect to be a steady contributor in the lineup and hope, again, Adley's still going to be a rookie, so expect your lumps, but they could change this lineup dramatically because you're just pushing guys down. You're just putting the, you know, the cream will rise to the top and the rising tide, as they say, will raise all boats. So it will raise the Orioles' entire offensive production when you add somebody like an Adley Rutschman or you add an everyday contributor. And I think the important thing to keep in mind, too, with the bottom of the lineup as it stands right now is this is kind of what we were hoping for, not the offensive struggles, but if anybody was going to be strugg struggling at the major league level, you would prefer that it's prospects that you are calling up and seeing what you have in them. The bottom of the lineup recently, outside of the catcher spot where there's a veteran in either Robinson, Chirinos, or Anthony Bemboom, you've had Ryan McKenna, Tyler Nevin, and Ryland Bannon. Those are guys that you want to get regular at-bats. You want to see what you have yeah. out of those prospects. It's not like the Orioles signed a bunch of 34-year-olds and they fill out the entirety at the bottom of the lineup. And they're treading water. Right. Yes, guys like Chris Owings have been in the lineup lately because Chris Owings is incredibly versatile defensively and he hasn't been hitting very well, but 
you just kind of need the bodies defensively right now, and Chris Owings can at least provide that. But towards the bottom of the lineup, it's the prospects that are trying to figure it out. I didn't and even, isn't that what you want? Yeah, I didn't even mention McKenna, but it's good to see that McKenna's back up, and I know he made a terrific play in the outfield yesterday, kind of diving catch down the left field line. Made a great one in Detroit, too, crashed yeah. into the wall. Um, so, And I know he made a defensive, he had a defensive miscue at one point in one of those games. But again, younger guy, he was drafted out of high school. He was not a, a college draft pick. He's still on the younger side compared to some of the other, his, his counterparts. And you're not expecting a whole lot from this guy. If he can be a fourth or fifth outfielder, that's enough for Orion McKenna because he's a fringe top 30 prospect. I just am glad that we're getting every day at bats from him because if not now, when? And so for him to show himself, it has to come now. And I think that he it has to come at the major league level. There's no point in giving him at bats where he's going to hit three homers in AAA Norfolk. He's past that. Right. He is much above AAA Norfolk hitting. He or pitching rather. He needs to face major league pitching, and he's got to figure it out now. Yeah, the rhythm has to come, and we've seen oddly a lot of frustration surrounding Ryan McKenna, which I don't really from get fans. from fans surrounding Ryan McKenna, which I don't really get. He's less than a year older than Kyle Stowers, and he is younger than both Robert Newstrom and Yusniel Diaz. Like. This is still a prospect. He's still trying to figure it out. And I've seen fans that are kind of done with Ryan McKenna. Yeah. I don't get that at all. I don't I don't understand the frustration either. You should expect to take some lumps with him. And you can't expect perfect play from somebody who's that young and from somebody who's just getting his feet wet in the big leagues. Right. He's still very toolsy. He's still incredibly fast. Has defensive upside, even though he will make an occasional mistake every now and again. He's got a better arm than Cedric Mullins. He can play all three defensive positions. And he can swing a little bit. When he gets a hold of things, we've seen his power in the minor leagues. It's just translating that power to the major leagues. And as we've seen with the likes of Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes, more so Mullins, but Mullins is an outlier more than the norm. Unless you give these guys everyday opportunities and unless you're patient enough with them, and you, you know, it, sometimes it takes years for guys to put it all together, these flashes that we saw in the minor leagues then you're not going to get the most out of them, and you're not going to make sure that you have have every stone unturned. You have to keep it in mind with Ryan McKenna. You have to keep it in mind with Adley Rutschman when he comes up. These are prospects that have not gotten a lot of time at the major league level. We are seeing it across baseball. Even some of the top prospects, like we mentioned before, are struggling at the big league level. You can't expect a prospect who's hitting even 300 at AAA Norfolk to come up to the majors and hit 280, 275. Yeah. You should expect that there is going to be an adjustment period. Ryland Bannon took a lot of step fo- steps forward at AAA Norfolk this season. He's struggling so far in his first few games at the major league level. And again, it's, well, yeah, it's his first few games at the major games. league level. Yeah, it's 20-some games. Right. It, it's really not enough to start judging these guys. Let's switch over to the pitching real quickly because the Orioles made some roster moves on the pitching side. Paul Fry was designated for assignment, and the Orioles claimed Bo Solcer, who is the younger brother of Cole Solcer. Paul Fry had an up-and-down career in Baltimore, if this is the end of it. Of course, he could clear waivers, and the Orioles could find a spot for him in AAA Norfolk, and maybe he could make his way back up to the big leagues. But for right now, that path is certainly on hold as he's placed on waivers. An unfortunate turn of events 
considering where he was at this point a year ago, he looked like one of the better relievers in the Orioles bullpen. He looked like one of the better left-handed relievers in all of the American League through the first half of the 2021 season. And it all fell apart in the second half of the 2021 season and in the beginning of the 2022 season. Yeah, I'm thinking about our trade deadline podcast where the trade deadline last year came and went and the Orioles did not trade Paul Fry or Tanner Scott. And we agreed on the podcast that, hey, if you don't have an offer that's really great for Paul Fry and Tanner Scott, you don't need to move them right away because they are still going to be pieces in your bullpen moving forward. And they were both young enough to be valuable pieces in your bullpen for the next few years. And that didn't turn out to be the case for either of those guys. Yeah. Which is a real bummer, like you said, especially for Paul Fry, who in less than a year goes from trade candidate that you thought you could get maybe some decent prospects for. I don't know if you would get quite a Michael Givens return for him, but you would have gotten some decent prospects for Paul Fry, I think, to somebody who's now DFA. They did move Tanner Scott along with Cole Sulcer, brother of Bo Sulcer, to the Miami Marlins, remember, right before the season. But Paul Fry did not put up nearly good enough numbers to turn himself back into a trade candidate. I mean, yeah. he had a 608 ERA in 2021, which is crazy considering how low that ERA was through the first three months of the season. The fact that it ballooned all the way to over six shows how much he struggled in the last couple months of the season. Then went down AAA Norfolk and even struggled. And then a six ERA on the dot so far this season before he was DFA'd. And the Orioles just don't have room for him right now. They're getting better production from the guys that they already have, from the Felix Bautista. I know he had a down outing last night, but he's been solid. CNL Perez has been pretty good. Uh, Brian Baker has been solid. And they have a prospect named Nick Vespi, who fans are clamoring to see, who is a left-handed reliever. He's 26, turns 27 in a few months. The Orioles are better served getting a look at somebody like a Nick Vespi than they are watching Paul Fry struggle. Yeah, and real quickly, it seemed like people made a really big deal out of that Cole Sulcer, Tanner Scott trade in the offseason. They're both pitching fine in Miami, not excellent, and the Orioles' bullpen has been excellent. It has. But anyway, Nick Vespi, yeah, I mean, he has an ERA of zero in AAA Norfolk. Yeah, and 14 and a third innings. 14 and a third innings with 21 strikeouts. So Nick Vespi making a very, very strong case to get the promotion to Baltimore, which I would anticipate will probably come within the next few weeks, I would imagine. Right now, the Orioles are kind of shuffling through a few waiver claims. We just saw Bo, Sol Bo Solcer, excuse me, Logan Allen, another one that the Orioles are kind of trying out. He's a former top 100 prospect. He's, I believe, the only other lefty, short inning lefty in the bullpen outside of CNL Perez because Keegan Aiken is pretty much there just to give you length. Yeah. So in terms of short inning relievers, they only have two lefties to turn to right now. Logan Allen has not been fantastic so far, so far in Baltimore, but given the former pedigree, I think you kind of have to see what you have with him for a little while. And if Logan Allen doesn't work out, I think Nick Vespi is a logical choice to take that spot. A Bo Solcer, 28 years old, four earned runs in nine and two-thirds innings with Pittsburgh this season, first major league season, all in relief. He was a starter in the minors last year with Pittsburgh's AAA affiliate, was not Outstanding, 5.65 ERA with just 7.5 Ks per nine over the course of that season. He's in a similar category, like you said, as these 
waiver claims, these Logan Allens, where they're just going to give him a shot before they eventually call a Nick Vespi up, which I, I think fans are interested to see what the Orioles have in him. But I would temper my expectations again. Vespi is 26, turning 27. Success at a AAA level, especially for minor especially for relievers, excuse me, does not preclude success in the majors. Look at Dustin Knight and, and how great he was in the minors last year, and then they call him up, and he just does not have it against big league competition. So I'm not expecting the world of Nick Vespi, but I am intrigued to see what yeah, he does. I think Nick Vespi is certainly intriguing. One interesting thing I wanted to point out with mm-hmm. both Solcer, Solcer, goodness gracious. I'm struggling with his name today. Really am. It's also a difficult name to say. Cole Solcer and Bo, Bo Solcer. Solcer. Yeah. Yeah. Which one's harder to say? Bo Solcer. Probably Bo Solcer. Considering yeah. I've said Cole Solcer with no issues and all of a sudden here comes yeah. Bo Solcer. It's, and- it's like uh, the Ben McDonald LSU let's go. Like the right. E-A-U-X. Too many vowels stuck together. Something's messing me up. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, the thing I wanted to point out is that with a waiver claim or, or whatever it is, you're always looking to see if there's something underlying that was intriguing about the guy. Yeah. One thing I found about Solcer in a small sample size has an expected batting average against of 180, which is in the 96th percentile in all of baseball. In his 9.2, yes. 9 two thirds innings. In the small sample size, yeah. but still something cool. Sure. Maybe he can build on that. Yeah, exactly. The Orioles were intrigued enough to, to pick him up after Pittsburgh designated him for assignment. Right. We'll see what he does. We'll see what the rest of the Orioles bullpen does. Also great to see Keegan Aiken now finding his rhythm out of the bullpen. They have a spot for him. He's not concerned about when is he going to get his next turn in the rotation? Is he going to be sent back down? He's, he knows when he's pitching in games. He knows how long he's going to pitch for most nights it's going to be two or three innings and he's making the most of it yeah and really intriguing too that the Orioles go from having two struggling starters in Keegan Aiken and Jorge Lopez last year yeah and then this year you have two excellent relievers yeah cool turn of events there and it's good because it shows that the guys like Bradish those true starter prospects that they expect to grab the bull by the horns and run with it those guys pushing the other guys to the bullpen is a good thing. You know, it's just the rising tide. Like I said, it's just allowing these guys to succeed in the best roles possible for them. Right. And in Keegan Aiken and Jorge Lopez, they've found a long reliever who has been able to really provide some great depth in the bullpen. Yeah. You're saving bullpen arms with Keegan Aiken because he can give you two, three innings and you don't have to use a bunch of guys to make up those two, three innings. And then in Jorge Lopez, if he's throwing a 99, 100-mile-an-hour sinker, that's a really good closer. It's a, yeah, it's a good pitch. Yeah. It's a it's a good tandem that they have going on right now. Right. Um, all right. We'll see when Adley Rutschman gets the call, Brendan. We will. We we are on Adley Rutsch. We are officially. on Adley Rutsch. Yeah, we, we will be ready with all the content once the call is made. Of course, at Mass and Orioles. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, on all of our social platforms, at Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. Brendan, I think your following exploded over the weekend. It did. Good. I got a few retweets from Rock and Steve. Oh, that's and huge. things just really took They'll off take from off there. take off from there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. At Paul Mancano is my Twitter handle. Thanks to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast. We'll, we will be back in a week at the latest, potentially before then, with some late-breaking news. We, we shall see. We have no inside information. Who's to say? Who's to say? Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.